Welcome to episode 476 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a wonderful conversation with highly acclaimed designer, illustrator, photographer, professor, collaborator, Julia Gorton. We talk with Julia about how she came up in Wilmington, Delaware, and ended up in New York City. A little bit about Philly as well. Her artistic friends, John Waters, capturing the no-wave scene in New York City. Punk Magazine, Legs McNeil buying her a glass of champagne at CBGB's, I think. Tom Verlaine, Lydia Lunch, Fandom, Patti Smith, Horror and Glam, Imagery and the Ephemeral Moment, Feeling Images, among other things. A wonderful conversation with Julia Gorton this go-round. We have an EWSA titled Captured and Free. We share two pieces from the March 2022 edition of Harper's Magazine. One is titled Exit Interview by David Shields, and the other is a poem called The Mirror by Charles Baudelaire. We also have an EW poem called Well Worn. All of this will be imbued, infused, with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. And Julia helped me out with those as well. Episode 476 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. I don't love you for your graveyard eyes I don't love you for your shaven thighs I just love you for that beat, 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 beating I don't love you for your tattered tie I don't love you and I don't know why I just love you for that beat, 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 beating I've got a safety pin stuck in my heart For you, for you I've got a safety pin stuck in my heart For you, for you I don't love you for your professed hate I don't love you for your cards of fate I just love you for that beat, 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 beating I don't love you for your painted shoes I don't love you for your friends you never choose I just love you for that beat, 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 beating I've got a safety pin stuck in my heart For you, for you I've got a safety pin stuck in my heart For you, for you I've got a safety pin stuck in my heart For you, for you I've got a safety pin stuck in my heart For you, for you I don't love you for your many reasons Propaganda, doctrines, treasons All I know is that beat, 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 beat I've got an ear inflamed on my dog chain Painted faces, painted nails, my shirt It's all that beat, 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 beat I've got a safety pin stuck in my heart For you, for you I've got a safety pin stuck in my heart For you, for you I've got a safety pin stuck in my heart For you, for you I've got a safety pin stuck in my heart For you, for you, for you 
Captured and Free, a Soliloquy, Prospects and Potentialities Beyond the Formalities As Gray Sky Passes into Blue, The Ways of This World Are Perpetually True, Even If One Does Not Seem to See Them. We Try to Speak to Ourselves oftentimes within a mix of riddles and poetry, on a good day. The others might find us dour and sour on the whole kitten caboodle, barking incessant like a full-bred poodle in heat right at your feet. I heard a teenager from Jordan speak at a middle school commencement the other day, about how she misses her neighborhood and culture from the old world way. Now she is learning the language and ways of these new world United States and feels happy and excited about it all. I also recently witnessed an old pickup truck driving through town by a very young man with American flags positioned and waving in the sunny wind at the back of the flatbed near its tailgate, reprobate and desperate for some attention, to make a strong statement and impression of a particular sort. This scene did not seem psychically or spiritually healthy. At night, I often stand in my backyard with a cup of mint tea or an IPA and look up at the moon, the Big Dipper, and Orion. Sometimes I smile lightly and swoon. Sometimes I feel like crying, crazy as a loon. This unplanned journey becomes clearer for a few moments, at least it seems. My sense of connection is a genuine bonus, whilst a need for living life has reinvigorated some of my dreams.
Julia Gorton, is that you? That's me. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for being on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Well, that's my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Before we get started, let me give a little background information for the listeners. Julia Gorton is a designer, illustrator, photographer, and collaborator. She's started her career as a photographer and visual editor of a punk music fanzine, landed her first job as an editorial designer at National Lampoon, worked freelance at Condé Nast, and art directed at Fairchild Publications. As an illustrator, Julia has over 20 children's books to her name with various publishing houses, including Scholastic, Abrams, Simon & Schuster, and Hyperion Books for Children. A member of the communication design faculty at Parsons School of Design for over 25 years, Julia was recognized as one of 15 notable art professors in New York City by the Art Career Project. Her photos of New York's no-wave scene, 1976 through 1980, capture a fleeting time with unique style. Her black and white photos focus on subjects including musicians and friends, the downtown denizens who walk the streets in torn stockings, leather jackets, and the cast-offs of a previous generation. These photos were part of an exhibit at MoMA in 2013 through 2014 called Designing Modern Women, 1890 through 1990. Troubadours and Rock On Tours is very happy to have on the program Julia Gorton. Again, thank you for taking time out. And, oh, uh, no problem. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Yeah, same thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, I guess let's just uh, start off with your journey to this point. We're talking to you now at your place uh, just outside of New York City, right? That's correct. Is that where you were born and raised around those parts? or? Well, no, I was, I was born in Wilmington, Delaware, which is really a satellite city, I think, for Philadelphia. And um, maybe they don't think of it that way, but... Uh, you know, myself with my friends from high school, including Rick Brown, who later went on to edit um, our fanzine Beat It Together, we uh, we had a crew in high school that um, we were always up in Philly going up to see bands at the Tower Theater, the Spectrum, the Academy of Music. You know, so I, I think of myself, you know, there's something about Wilmington, Delaware that's uh, a little provincial and um, kind of, you know, sweet and developing in the 60s and 70s. And then Philly, you know, just having everything that we were looking for that we couldn't quite yet get to in New York. So that's, that's sort of my, my core, uh, you know, beginning. And, and then you, you realized that uh, you were into illustration and photography at that point and, and decided you need to move on to a bigger place? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think in high school, um, again, my friends were all really creative and they were writing and making films. My friend Tim Kelly, who is sadly no longer with us, um, uh, we were really inspired by um, John Waters, who was, you know, another not that far, far away city is Baltimore. So John Waters um, and uh, the, fil- the films he made, I think, were really influential for us. So, you know, there were, in Delaware, there are a couple of different options. Like, you stay there. And uh, we, we knew that was not an option. And 
and Philly wasn't really big enough. So, you know, we started thinking, all of us started thinking about next steps and probably like 10th grade, like how do we get out of here? <laughs> and um, what are the college options for us? And uh, I saw a, a I saw a catalog for Parsons in the, uh, you know, the office where they talk to you about college. And I said, I'm going there. I'm going, I'm going, I'm getting out of here and I'm going to New York. So um, uh, it was not really to study illustration at that point. It was more about exploring a world that I had seen um, queer, pretty clearly, you know, calling to me uh, through the photographs and interviews that I saw in Interview Magazine. So when I think about, you know, how Andy Warhol is so, you know, he's been around for a long time. His work is around for a long time. And, um, you know, I thought, oh, he's, he's just got it all. He's got the photography, he's got the film, he's got the screen printing, he's got the painting, he's got the studio. I would like to be like that. And, you know, there's not that many people really that are like that. So no. I tried to do my best. Yeah, that, well, that's a great uh, sort of, I guess, personal look up to when you're trying to figure out how you might approach things as an artist, for sure. Oh, yeah. And um, so you're 18, 19, and you move to New York City. You study at Parsons, one of the most highly regarded uh, schools for, for what you're, you're into for art generally and design. And um, I guess you had some fun. I mean, in particular, you think about the photos I mentioned that of uh, the no wave scene. A lot of uh, those were captured while you were a student there, right? Oh yes. Um, you know, I had started. I had started doing some photography in high school when my I worked in an after school rec program, and um, the the man who was also a teacher, Lloyd Teesworth, he he just came to me and said. I've got this, you know, Petri rangefinder. I think you have to buy it. And so I'm like, okay, I'll buy it. He said, and my friend, Mr. Dubrow, he will teach you how to develop film. And so I bought this camera and um, Mr. Dubrow, who was, I think, head of yearbook and maybe taught electronics, taught me how to do that. Uh, but when I, you know, I had a boyfriend, Rick Brown, who was a year ahead of me in school. So he, when he graduated, he went to NYU and would send me postcards all the time of like what he was doing in New York. And what I liked about, I wish I had them all because he would go to galleries and galleries had always like promo postcards and they would always have, um, you know, the book mailing rate stamp thing printed on it. Right. Mm -hmm. So he would take these postcards and then he would subvert them and send them to me on the gallery's postal rate. So I thought it was really clever and, um, you know, it was all the things at Castelli and, um, you know, the different galleries that were in Soho at the time. But, um, you know, I knew that when I got to New York, I wouldn't have any uh, ability to use a dark room right away because I would be in freshman year. And so um, at the time I was working for this guy, Tom Watkins in Wilmington and Tom was, he, um, he, he, had a place called Apocalyptic Productions, and I think I read about him in the the Wilmington News Journal, and I thought he's the you know he's the kind of weirdo I want to get to know, <laughs> and so I um, you know started following him, and he 
he produced this amazing event called the Sleaze Convention. And he um, had uh, the people from Punk Magazine come down, Evie Massey come up from Baltimore. Uh, he had like a pop-up porn shop, people selling stuff. They showed the films, the Kukar Brothers. Uh, it was just like a really, you know, he showed the Diane Link letter story. It was this really subculture event in Wilmington, and we all went. We just thought he was like next to, next to God. <laughs> and I introduced myself to him, and I became his um, assistant the next summer. So I was in downtown Wilmington a lot, and uh, he'd send me up to, I think it was called like audiovisual something. He would send me up there to get Ruby Lift or I, I, some kind of thing he needed. And they had these beautiful Polaroid cameras, and I thought, okay, I'm going to take my summer money. I'm going to buy this top-of-the-line Polaroid camera, and I'll shoot Polaroids when I get to New York. And so that really is sort of the beginning of, you know, how I started meeting people, you know, in CBGBs and around. So I was taking Polaroids with this big, clunky, you know, bellows-based camera that, that people hadn't seen and a lot of those, so it's it's a insta like an instamatic sort of deal, a Polaroid. That's sort of it's, it, yeah, it's instant. So this was like it came with pack film, and uh, it would have a really high ASA film speed. So it, it you know, I have, um, you know, it would there were maybe ten shots per pack, and I would probably carry like two packs of film, and. Um, yeah, that's probably like 20 bucks. It was some expensive amount of money. And uh, I kept them all, whether they came out well or not, you know. So with Photoshop, I've been able to scan some of these really dark prints from you know, 1976, 77, retouch them and see what was lurking there. Like not only was like Tom Berlin like lurking in the shadows, he was lurking in this Polaroid instant print for, you know, I don't know 40 years or whatever. And so um, people liked seeing the instant prints, and uh, I they would pose for me. So it was a great way to meet people and um, continue my you know beginning photo career. Yeah, so just kind of like going to CBGBs as a kid with your Polaroid and taking snapshots of the scene around there in the Bowery is what it sounds like. That must have been pretty yeah. fun. Um, it's funny because I didn't, I didn't feel like a kid. You know, I felt really totally grown up. And there were some much younger kids that were um, just out and about. There were all these kids that were from friends' high school, including um, Bill Arning, who was a you know well-known name in the in the art contemporary art world. Um, the Sidemen sisters, uh, this guy excessive. All the kids from The Blessed, Angela Jagger. There were a lot of people that were like 14, 15, 16. So at 18, everybody thought it was um, really ironic that I wore this button on my lapel that said anti-teenager. <laughs> I was still a teenager at 18, but, um, you know. So you, you mentioned Tom Verlaine. He's uh, from the, the great group television among yeah. others groundbreaking group and and you know i, I look at all of the images that uh, you have of indivi the individuals you you captured people like uh 
you know, Debbie Harry, Patti Smith, David yeah. Byrne, Lydia Lunch, Iggy Pop, and, and so on, Richard Hell. Yeah. Uh, did you end up developing friendships with these folks? Um, I, I would say Lydia was sort of my, you know, she was my go-to. Um, but before I talk about that, I just want to mention that, like, Tom Verlaine was from Wilmington. Oh. And so he lived uh, in the development that my boyfriend lived. He lived a block over. And so, you know, when we found out, like, Tom lives in Westgate Farms? What? And it went to, uh, you know, Sanford Prep. And I, I'd taken, like, uh, summer field hockey camp at, at Sanford. And so to think that we had overlapped and this super cool guy had come out of Bloomington, we were, like, so impressed and in awe. And, um, you know, so we always felt like, oh, it's the Delaware, the Delaware connection. It's really cool. But he didn't really speak to us. But his, um, the summer after first year, I got a waitressing job, which, which really was, you know, showed me the, the depravity of humankind when you're working at a, you know, IHOP on the, you know, I-95 outside of Wilmington. Like, I, I just really, like, I, I learned to hate people then. <laughs> and, um, I mean, I didn't learn to, I just naturally did. Um, and I would stop at the Wilmington Railroad flea market on my way home looking for, you know, Bakelite or something and uh, some cool, like, weird things. And I was walking down one of the, you know, aisles or the setups or rows of parked cars with, you know, their trunks open and a little pop-up table. And I heard, I couldn't, I was like, what? I'm losing my mind. I heard little Johnny Jewel, like, being played. And I thought, what is going on? And this the woman was, you know, I mean, she was you know, certainly younger than I am now, but she seemed like this like old lady, and she had like a like a puffy, you know, you know, shampoo and set hairdo. And I walked over. I said, "What? What is? Why are you playing that?" And she very, very proudly said, "That's my son's band." And so, you know, I got I got to know Mrs. Miller a little bit. And so when I would do like, you know, color Xerox and collages and things with them in them, I would stop by and see her and, and drop them off with her because she was just this like really lovely, lovely lady. And um, she and she was whose mother? Tom Verlaine's mom. Uh, Tom Verlaine's mom. Yeah, yeah. So Tom Verlaine's name is Miller, Tom Miller. Uh, and, um, you know, so. The Delaware uh, connection. There it is. So with Lydia, I mean, I think when I start taking pictures uh, I would say Lydia was part, more part of our crowd in that she was like starting, starting up. And people like, um, you know, Chris and Tina, who I peripherally know now, are very, very... Talking very, heads, you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Patty Smith. Um, they, uh, uh, David Byrne, you know, David Byrne, they all, they already had some degree of success. So there was a kind of um, fandom I had that I think gets in the way of really developing, you know, they were idols. So you can't really develop, or at least I wasn't mature enough to know how to develop a relationship with someone who I idolized. And gosh, I idolized Patti Smith, like, to no end. You know, I thought she was just like, just, she got me through high school, you know? <laughs> I hear you. And, um, but Lydia and I really became friends for a number of years, and 
we shot many, many, many times together. And um, I think she really helped me develop, you know, the style that I have cobbled together from, you know, all the things I had seen before um, growing up. You know, I've talked before about what my influences are. And, you know, it's a, it's a steady mix of, you know, vogue fashion photographers like Helmut Newton and Chris von Wagenheim and um, Guy Bourdin mixed with, you know, some classic American or classic, classic global photographers like Lisette Modell and, you know, Will, William Klein and Dido Moriyama. But the, the heavy, the heaviest influence was probably you know, horror movies and glamour movies that were on reruns, you know, mm -hmm. reruns growing up, that, that black and white film noir and movie horror. It's, you know, I didn't make anything up. I just, I just copied everything I liked, you know, <laughs> it very modest. Um, so you, uh, Lydia Lunch, you mentioned, we uh, recently had, and you probably know this guy too, uh, her recent drummer on, you know, Bob Burt, you know Bob? Oh, yeah, yeah. Bob, Bob's also like a Jersey guy. Yeah. He, yeah, he grew up with some friends of ours, like a couple towns over from where I live now. Very what cool a, guy. What a cool what guy. A nice, authentic person. Really? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I love talking with him. And uh, Legs McNeil, did you ever cross paths with him when you were hanging out at CBGB's? Yeah, I see. You know, when I think about like the age of people, like Legs, I I remember seeing Legs and just thinking, oh, there's that guy from Punk Magazine. Oh my God, like he's so grown up. But I don't know how much older he was than me. Like maybe a couple years. Yeah. He seems so intimidating. And once he, I mean, I don't even know how this happened, but. Once he bought me a glass of champagne when I was at the end of the night at CBGB's, and I can't imagine. You know, I found it in my diary. I'm like, oh yeah, I still remember that. Like, what, what was that about? And um, you know, he was just like so so inspiring. And um, you know, I think I had a lot of uh, I had a lot of admiration for the people that were on that scene with me. And I also had a lot of uh, fear or social anxiety or something that, you know, I think I could have talked to anybody. And I just didn't. I just selected certain people, you know? Yeah, I can understand that, definitely. Um, and you mentioned Patty Smith, and I, I need to ask, did you end up ever talking with or hanging out with uh, her best buddy, uh, Mr. Mamplethorpe? No, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, like, you know, you, at that time, that scene that we were in was super tiny. Like, it was, New York was, um, you know, you going, going back, like, I don't have di a lot of diaries. So, you know, I try to, like, build up my memory of that time. And a lot of it uh, was sort of sidebarred when I had children. And after they got a little bit bigger, I started looking at the, the images again and and thinking, oh, yeah, this was shot at such and such a place. And then later I, I find out, no, that wasn't shot there. That was shot at this other place. I'm like, what? What other place? And I, and I research it, and it's like, oh, yeah, 
a glimmer of memory comes back and then over time that you know it becomes more and more like realized so you know i think that um I'm becoming more aware now through Instagram of how many different sort of small groups like ours there were. So, um, you know, I'm not sure where Robert really fit, but I would say probably much more in a down, downtown Soho art scene kind of place. And that, I didn't overlap with that. And, uh, Richard Bach, who wrote the Mud Club book, mm-hmm. you know, I was thinking like I, I went to the Mud Club a couple times. The people there seemed, you know, I was always looking to be comfortable, right, in some way. They seemed more worldly than me, and so I felt like a little out of my element. And uh, like maybe Robert was there. I don't know. Um, you know, there were the people that were making films like Jamie Neres, who I ended up in one of his films in a teeny, 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 teeny spot. Um, but, you know, people were making all kinds of interesting art and uh, films and sculptures. And we didn't necessarily overlap, but we were really, really close to overlapping. Yeah, it sounds like a vibrant scene. And you know, you you mentioned having children and going back, looking at some of the images you captured. Uh, what kind of, I guess, when you look at those images, what kind of power, <clears throat> excuse me, do you see, do you sense? And, and also, do you, at the same time, get a, a, a sense that those images, those moments are ephemeral? Well, I mean, I, I think imagery is a really complex thing. It's, um, and moments are ephemeral. They just, it's so hard to understand, uh, how quickly things kind of change. And, you know, the city is like, I'm, it just turns and turns and turns over into like the, the generation that's six months younger, younger than you. And then the generation that's nine months younger than you, you know, it's just like, it's constantly like just bubbling. So, you know, the images um, capture something that I felt should be captured. And, you know, people people were asking me, a, you know, a number of years ago, like, oh, you kept all your stuff? Like, did you know it would be important? And I don't even know what that word important means in the scheme of things. But my answer is always, they were, it was always important to me. These images were always important to me. The people in them were always important to me. The, the archival, like, you know, item gig posters that I kept, I was a fan, you know, and um, I really adored the music and the people and the aesthetics. And I just wanted, uh, I wanted to capture it. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, sort of, uh, looking at it now, I think, gosh, they have such a, a, a kind of a gritty but glamorous. And, um, you know, there, there were a couple of things recently, like I've always thought, like, where was I? How come I'm not in anybody's pictures, you know? 
David Goggles caught me once, and that's about it. And recently, this guy who owned a record store called Pantasia on, uh, God, his name is like Tomasello. I can't remember his first name. He owned the store, and I had gone to a, a signing of um, Billy Idol had come in to sign some Generation X singles, and uh, I took a photo of him and Billy, and I was like, oh my God, this this guy that's like at the counter serving serving the beer, he's the person that makes the picture really good. Who is he? And every so often I'd post it and say, does anybody know who this is? And he contacted me and said, that's me. That was my record store. And um, I have a couple pictures from the same day, and I think you might be in them. And he sent me this like color, you know, photo or scan of a color print. And I'm like, oh yeah, there I am. I can see the back of my head. And um, everything's in color, what? The, the room is in color. It's because in my mind, everything's black and white. Color didn't exist then, you know, because I have the pictures and the pictures help create the memory and the reality at that time for me. Like I just see people looking a certain way. And if, if I find a picture of them in profile, I just like, what? That's not them. That can't be them. You know? It's amazing how personal all of this is to you, for you, your work? I, I mean, I, I don't understand people that are not... Um, I mean, I do understand that people are different. And at one point, I was asked to, like, guest crit um, some maybe junior-level work at school. And I remember in particular one student who had... They paired me with the student... And uh, they had a lot of, like, performance photos of, you know, bands in Brooklyn. And uh, they were perfectly lovely photos. They were very dynamic, you know. They were in focus, uh, a lot of action. Uh, I'm like, I've, I've seen these before. Other people have shot these pictures. And, you know, better than you and not as good as you. And here they are. And I said, well, what do you, like, you must be out, like, seeing music all the time. And they said, no, 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 I already did that. I already did that. Now I'm focusing on editing. Like, what? Hmm. already did that? Huh. That should just be part of your lifestyle. Right. So, you know, these are personal. And um, I have a book that I've been working on for a long, long time. And uh, it has a lot of people in it that are not the people you mentioned. They're friends. And there are people I don't know their names. And to me, they're as important to the scene as really anybody. Right. I mean, you know, humanity, photography and humanity. I mean, does the that visual image benefit our sense of who we are as a species, as, as, uh, as individuals? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know about. I mean, I really don't know about that. And um, I think that uh, if you can feel, you know, if you can feel, even taking photos at the time in a place changes your perception of what's happening because you're pointing your camera in a certain direction. And all around you, there are like a million other stories that are just as interesting happening, right? And so, you know, photography creates a kind of small window 
that's really shaped by the person who has the camera that tells the story of a specific time. So I think if you really want to know about that time, right, what you're going to want to really do is investigate all the photographers that were on the scene at the time. You know, I think people know specifically, I think David Godless has managed to, you know, really become well-known as a fantastic photographer and just a beautiful aesthetic. And his photos have a kind of, you know, I'm breathing in like a atmosphere that feels like, like you can feel the, you can feel the streetlight like hitting the mists of, you know, sweat and uh, humidity in the air and the diesel exhaust. Like you can really feel his images. It's a very particular point of view. Mine, I think, go all over the place. Bobby Grossman has a lot of fabulous photos of people that sort of extend into that whole, a little more uh, Warhol slash adjacent crew. Um, broad variety of people. Roberta Bailey, Stephanie Chernikowski, uh, Yvette Roberts. And, and there are a lot of people whose names aren't even part of the, you know, discourse in any way, like snapshot photographers who you're like, oh my God, Angela Jager? Okay, she, she was... She was a girl who um, I certainly knew because I saw her and I thought, this girl is fabulous looking. And she scares me to death. She's younger than me. She's got just this like flashing eyeliner and this like dry peroxide hair that's just been slept on for like three weeks. Like, she had such confidence. She kept a diary during that time. It's a diary that has like a camera and visuals and photos and snapshots and photo booth and teen girl writing and, and cartoons like, like he should be part of this he should be part of all of this you know what i mean that this is she's as important to this as anybody and her sister hillary jaber he like so important who was the booking uh booking person for tier three and i think if you look at who was playing, showing, exhibiting at Tier 3. I think Hillary should have been, you know, curating the uh, biennial. I mean, like, what brilliant person. So if you want to get a, a sense of what will happen, you can't just look at one thing because it gives you a totally warped, uh, isolated point of view. I'll yeah. tell you everything, but not everything. Right. In, in regards to humanity, photography is so important. I mean, I think the pictures coming out of um, uh, Ukraine, uh, you know, news photography, uh, people's uh, social media posts, um, they, the level for images that we're seeing and how we're seeing things gives this window to a lot more people than used to have it. Yeah, definitely. Nicely said. Julia Gorton here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, illustrator, photographer, artist, professor, among other things. Uh, so we're just about out of time for this conversation. Hopefully we are able to have another one in the future. I'd love to continue talking with you. Uh, before we go, um, 
any anything you want to share with listeners in regard to uh, what you you're working on now and maybe where they can uh, find what what you're working on now well i would say you know i've been working on a book for a long time it has a really nice intro by lydia lunch a fantastic essay by uh, lucy son cool piece um about sort of coming to new york from minnesota by phil dre uh uh, Thurston wrote a piece for it. It's like, it's it feels to me very much like it's uh, almost like a group memoir um, with all my photos. It's coming out in the fall. Uh, I'm putting it out myself. Follow me on Instagram. And uh, if you happen to be in Pensacola in September, first two weeks, uh, I'm going to be doing a residency at the 309 Punk House. And if you've got some you know, spare change or anything, you're interested in helping like a really great nonprofit that um, is trying to uh, carry on the history of this house as a, a, a place for punks traveling around uh, doing gigs and living. Um, please check out 309 Punk and they're on uh, Instagram also. Excellent. And um, any parting thoughts to share with the listeners? Uh, anything to motivate, to inspire to to compel you know i think i think we're like in a really hard time and i certainly deal with like oh, what am i doing why am i doing it why is it so hard why is it taking so long i don't know you know that kind of voice and i think that um if you can just go back to this like diy aesthetic and remember that like nobody is going to do this for you this is this is not going to happen nobody's going to find you you know, and you have to figure out how to, you know, create a, a place for yourself that where you can really, where you can really, um, you know, make the kind of, you know, music or art or film that's interesting first to you. It first has to be right for you. And, and hopefully you'll find an audience. But if you're just always trying to please somebody else with the things you make or do or sing about, you, you're already like, I think it's a very hard way to move forward and be authentic in your creative practice. So do it yourself. Get out there and do it. So whatever it is. And in Pensacola, I'm going to be running like an open portrait studio. So if you're down there, come by for a brief photograph and a hang, and uh, we'll get to know each other a little bit. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Julia. It was wonderful talking with you. Lawrence, thank you so much, and uh, let me know. you need anything else, okay? I will. I will. Take care. Have a good summer. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
the telephone Love is an angel disguised as lust Here in our bed until the morning And now I'm going to share with you two pieces from the March 2022 edition of Harper's Magazine. This first piece is titled Interrogation, Exit Interview. It's from the very last interview, a collection of questions loosely adapted from interviews with the writer David Shields, which will be published this year by New York Review of Books. Here they are. Questions. Any plans to retire soon? Let's say I told you you had to retire right now. What would be your immediate reaction? What is it like being old, or at least older? Are a hundred years enough? What keeps you going now? Feel super duper satisfied about the overall journey. Isn't there a sort of grace in knowing when to exit the stage? When you imagine the future without yourself in it, how does that make you feel? How do you calculate the precise balance between the force for good and the force for ill, not only within yourself, but also of all humanity? Why are you so melancholy? Are we out of time? Are you seeking an exit strategy? Are you done? Are you, in essence, a ghost? 
And now, the next piece is a poem titled The Mirror by Charles Baudelaire from Late Fragments, which will be published next month by Yale University Press, translated from French by Richard Seaberth. A frightful-looking man comes in and looks at himself in the mirror. Why look at yourself in the mirror? You'll only feel disgust at what you see. The frightful-looking man answers me. Mansour, according to the immortal principles of 89, all men are equal in their rights. Therefore, it is my right to look at myself in the mirror. Whether I do so with pleasure or disgust is of concern only to my conscience. Common sense was no doubt on my side, but from a legal standpoint, he could hardly be faulted. dress is freely blowing in the warm wind, and I don't pretend not to be watching. A baseball cap, light blue and well-worn, with sweat stains and old dirt on its bill and brim, hangs on the fence post. After I cut the grass, perhaps a cold drink and a swim...
alone or with my friends and kin. have it. Episode 476 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Julia Gorton. I would like to thank also David Shields, and Charles Baudelier, as well as Harper's Magazine, and these musical artists. Thelonious Monk, Patrick Fitzgerald, The Only Ones, Patti Smith, Django Reinhardt and Stefan Grappelli, The Jam, Billie Holiday, Branford Marsalis and Terence Blanchard, too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself and others, too. Toodaloo. <laughs>